Part 2, Chapter 2, Section 55 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss, translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2, History of the Public Life of Jesus. Chapter 2, Baptism and Temptation of Jesus. Section 55, The Temptation Considered as a Natural Occurrence, Either Internal or External, and Also as a Parable the impossibility of conceiving the sudden removals of jesus to the temple and the mountain led some even of the ancient commentators to the opinion that at least the locality of the second and third temptations was not present to jesus corporeally and externally but merely in a vision while some modern ones to whom the personal appearance of the devil was especially offensive have supposed that the whole transaction with him passed from beginning to end within the recesses of the soul of jesus herewith they have regarded the forty days fast either as a mere internal representation which however is a most inadmissible perversion of the plainly historic text nis tiusas him eras tesar aconta osteron ep ein asse matthew chapter four verse two or as a real fact, in which case the formidable difficulties mentioned in the preceding section remain valid. The internal representation of the temptations is by some made to accompany a state of ecstatic vision, for which they retain a supernatural cause, deriving it either from God or from the kingdom of darkness. Others ascribe to the vision more of the nature of a dream, and accordingly seek a natural cause for it in the reflections with which jesus was occupied during his waking moments according to this theory jesus in the solemn mood which the baptismal scene was calculated to produce reviews his messianic plan and together with the true means for its execution he recalls their possible abuses an excessive use of miracles and a love of domination by which man in the jewish mode of thinking became instead of an instrument of god a promoter of the plans of the devil while surrendering himself to such meditations his finely organized body is overcome by their exciting influence he sinks for some time into deep exhaustion and then into a dreamlike state in which his mind unconsciously embodies his previous thoughts in speaking and acting forms to support this transference of the whole scene to the inward nature of jesus commentators think that they can produce some features of the evangelical narrative itself the expression of matthew chapter four verse one on ichthe eistin heremon hupo tu panumatos and still more that of luke chapter four verse one igeto ento panumati correspond fully to the forms eg en omin en penumati revelation chapter one verse ten ep ineg ke me ice her inon em penumati chapter seventeen verse three and to similar ones in ezekiel and as in these passages inward intuition is alone referred to neither in the evangelical ones it is said can any external occurrence be intended 
but it has been with reason objected that the above forms may be adapted either to a real external abduction by the divine spirit as in acts chapter eight verse thirty nine second kings chapter two verse sixteen or to one merely internal and visionary as in the quotation from the apocalypse so that between these two possible significations the context must decide that in works replete with visions as are the apocalypse and ezekiel the context indeed pronounces in favour of a merely spiritual occurrence but in an historical work such as our gospels of an external one dreams and especially visions are always expressly announced as such in the historical books of the new testament supposing therefore that the temptation was a vision it should have been introduced by the words iden en horam ati en ecstasi as in acts chapter nine verse twelve chapter ten verse ten or ephani autocat onar as in matthew chapter one verse twenty chapter two verse thirteen besides if a dream had been narrated the transition to a continuation of the real history must have been marked by being awakened as in matthew chapter one verse twenty four chapter two verses fourteen and twenty one whereby as paulus truly says much labor would have been spared to expositors it is further alleged against the above explanations that jesus does not seem to have been at any other time subject to ecstasies and that he nowhere else attaches importance to a dream or even recapitulates one to what end god should have excited such a vision in jesus it is difficult to conceive or how the devil should have had power and permission to produce it especially in christ the orthodox too should not forget that admitting the temptation to be a dream resulting from the thoughts of jesus the false messianic ideas which were a part of those thoughts are supposed to have had a strong influence on his mind if then the history of the temptation is not to be understood as confined to the soul of jesus and if we have before shown that it cannot be regarded as supernatural nothing seems to remain but to view it as a real yet thoroughly natural event and to reduce the tempter to a mere man after john had drawn attention to jesus as the messiah thinks the author of the natural history of the prophet of nazareth the ruling party in jerusalem commissioned an artful pharisee to put jesus to the test and to ascertain whether he really possessed miraculous powers or whether he might not be drawn into the interest of the priesthood and be induced to give his countenance to an enterprise against the romans this conception of the diabolos is in dignified consistency with that of the ageloi who appeared after his departure to refresh jesus as an approaching caravan with provisions or as soft reviving breezes but this view as usteri says has so long completed its phases in the theological world that to refute it would be to waste words if the foregoing discussions have proved that the temptation as narrated by the synoptical evangelists 
cannot be conceived as an external or internal a supernatural or natural occurrence the conclusion is inevitable that it cannot have taken place in the manner represented the least invidious expedient is to suppose that the sources of our histories of the temptation was some real event in the life of jesus so narrated by him to his disciples as to convey no accurate impression of the fact tempting thoughts which intruded themselves into his soul during his residence in the wilderness or at various seasons and under various circumstances but which were immediately quelled by the unimpaired force of his will were according to the oriental mode of thought and expression represented by him as a temptation of the devil and this figurative narrative was understood literally the most prominent objection to this view that it compromises the impeccability of jesus being founded on a dogma has no existence for the critic we can however gather from the tenor of the evangelical history that the practical sense of jesus was thoroughly clear and just but this becomes questionable if he could ever feel an inclination corresponding to the second temptation in matthew or even if he merely chose such a form for communicating a more reasonable temptation to his disciples further in such a narrative jesus would have presented a confused mixture of fiction and truth out of his life not to be expected from an ingenious teacher as he otherwise appears to be especially if it be supposed that the tempting thoughts did not really occur to him after his forty days sojourn in the wilderness and that this particular is only a portion of the fictitious investiture while if it be assumed on the contrary that the date is historical there remains the forty days fast one of the most insurmountable difficulties of the narrative if jesus wished simply to describe a mental exercise in the manner of the jews who tracing the effect to the cause ascribed evil thoughts to diabolical agency nothing more was requisite than to say that satan suggested such and such thoughts to his mind and it is quite superfluous to depict a personal devil and a journey with him unless together with the purpose of narration or in its stead there existed a poetical and didactic intention such an intention indeed is attributed to jesus by those who hold that the history of the temptation was narrated by him as a parable but understood literally by his disciples this opinion was not encumbered with the difficulty of making some real inward experience of jesus the basis of the history it does not suppose that jesus himself underwent such temptations but only that he sought to secure his disciples from them by impressing on them as a compendium of messianic and apostolic wisdom the three following maxims first to perform no miracle for their own advantage even in the greatest exigency secondly never to venture on a chimerical undertaking in the hope of extraordinary divine aid thirdly never to enter into fellowship with the wicked however strong the enticement it was long ago observed in opposition to this interpretation 
that the narrative is not easily recognized as a parable and that its moral is hard to discern with respect to the latter objection it is true that the second temptation would be an ill-chosen image but the former remark is the more important one to prove that this narrative has not the characteristics of a parable the following definition has been recently given a parable being essentially historical in its form is only distinguishable from real history when its agents are of an obviously fictitious character this is the case where the subjects are mere generalizations as in the parables of the sower the king and others of the like kind or when they are indeed individualized but so as to be at once recognized as unhistorical persons as mere supports for the drapery of fiction of which even lazarus in the parable of the rich man is an example though distinguished by a name in neither species of parable is it admissible to introduce as a subject a person corporeally present and necessarily determinate and historical thus jesus could not make peter or any other of his disciples the subject of a parable still less himself for the reciter of a parable is pre-eminently present to his auditors and hence he cannot have delivered the history of the temptation of which he is the subject to his disciples as a parable to assume that the history had originally another subject for whom oral tradition substituted jesus is inadmissible because the narrative even as a parable has no definite significance unless the messiah be its subject if such a parable concerning himself or any other person could not have been delivered by jesus yet it is possible that it was made by some other individual concerning jesus and this is the view taken by thyla who has recently explained the history of the temptation as a parabolic admonition directed by some partisan of jesus against the main features of the worldly messianic hope with the purpose of establishing the spiritual and moral view of the new economy here is the transition to the mythical point of view which the above theologian shuns partly because the narrative is not sufficiently picturesque though it is so in a high degree partly because it is too pure though he thus imputes false ideas to the primitive christians and partly because the formation of the mythos was too near the time of jesus an objection which must be equally valid against the early misconstruction of the parable if it can be shown on the contrary that the narrative in question is formed less out of instructive thoughts and their poetical clothing as is the case with a parable then out of old testament passages and types we shall not hesitate to designate it a mythos end of section fifty five